Meow. Here we go. Meow. <laughs> Meow. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues. This episode is sponsored by CodeChip.com. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time you test pass? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied to a nice continuous integration system? That's CodeChip. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically. For fast, free continuous delivery, check them out at CodeChip.com. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Rackspace. Are you looking for a place to host your latest creation? Want terrific support, high performance, all backed by the latest open source cloud? What if you could try it for free? Try out Rackspace at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace and get a $300 credit over six months. That's $50 per month at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 194 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel we have David Brady... The pod call was coming from inside the house. Avdi Grimm. I am probably not a cat. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's uh, Sudhendra Rao. Hi. Hi, everybody, and I'm certainly not a cat. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? I have been doing Ruby for about seven, eight years. I have done a few Ruby projects uh, with ThoughtWorks, different sizes, different Ruby technologies, Sinatra, Rails, old Rails, new Rails, Rails 1.0. And recently, like last three years, I have been doing Ruby on a the longest running JRuby project that we have at ThoughtWorks called Mingle. Mingle is the project management tool that uh, ThoughtWorks sells uh, under its umbrella. Uh, which is very, very configurable and suits your process, not the other way around. I've used Mingle. I liked it. Does that mean I can configure Mingle to ignore all of my tasks until the last minute and then suddenly panic? <laughs> you can, but that's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> you can. You can actually do all those things. <laughs> I haven't found one yet that'll stop me from doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my I managers wanna, have looked. <laughs> So I want a project management system that will panic right along with me. <laughs> <laughs> I will put that in my notes. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, I can totally see that. Oh, crap.io. So uh, I'm curious. We brought you on to talk about uh, using JRuby. Mm-hmm. And I just, whenever I hear JRuby, I just shudder and remember pain. Has it gotten better? Uh, it has gotten way, way, way significantly better, especially since the time we started. And I have to go back in history, even before my time with Mingo. And Mingo was basically being built to be this tool where 
it will not force users uh, to follow its uh, religion or its style. But the other way around where users can say, you know, I would like to do this in my process. I would like to do that in my process. And it will allow people to skin their mingle to the way they work, basically to fit their organization. And for that, at that time, uh, Ruby was chosen because it allowed to uh, deliver faster. It allowed to uh, write code which would uh, help you build such a configurable app without all the restrictions like Java and other things and other uh, languages have. Uh, plus, given Rails was released around that time, Mingle was started around 2006. So Rails was released at that time, and then JRuby was was the alternative platform that you could release. Uh, JRuby did present a lot of promise, uh, and what uh, Mingle was looking at was being delivered as a simply manageable app, so that anyone could download it, manage it on themselves, and use the tool to help their organization uh, do the kind of agile or do the kind of process they would like to do. And JRuby in those days, especially if you wanted to run the whole app on your local machine, would consume a lot of uh, resources and uh, starting JRuby runtimes. And every time you need to start a test or stop a test was expensive. But over time, it has become significantly faster. The performances that we see today are very close to MRI. Recently, we just added uh, another optimization, which will reduce the startup time for all our tests from 20 seconds it has reduced to five seconds uh, we use this thing called as drip and then these kinds of technologies are actually helping us build the same kind of performance uh, that we would get with an mri app that sounds really promising the thing that i remember with pain was that a yeah i would start the tests and then it would be like okay okay <laughs> okay okay oh there it goes and it says it ran in way less time than it did and, you know, and it was because it was starting up the JVM and then running everything. And the benchmark only covered the Ruby part of the process. And then, yeah, I, I mean, that was really the biggest thing, you know, was just the, the startup lag. But it does look very promising. And the JVM is very cross-platform. I'm not going to say completely cross-platform because I know that there are still edge cases and issues there, but for the most part, it works really well on all of the systems. And so it's one option I really like, especially when I'm going to Windows. Yeah, and uh, actually Mingle was built so that we could deliver on Windows as well as on uh, Unix machines. And the way uh, we packaged it at that time was uh, built an installer kind of a thing. So just one click, you download it, and one click, you install it on your machine and just it runs like a java app and you you do things with it like a java app you send in environment variables or parameters to tune tune the mingle and it just behaves like a java app that was the killer feature that we liked because we could write in ruby so that we had the performance uh, sorry delivery benefits of ruby and we could still give uh, the users an app where they could be agnostic of what it what the technology is and they could just manage it very well Although something that uh, we have done over and over and still continue to do is why, when we are doing development, we still run MRI because it is so much faster to run uh, tests from your editor or te run tests locally. And when we run in production mode, then we do uh, testing on JRuby. Uh, we run all our uh, CI builds on JRuby because we want to get feedback about how, that, how the production environment will behave. Mm -hmm. So do you run do any, you run any gotchas between the two systems? There are. Basically, we have to be uh, continuously aware of whether uh, whatever we are testing has any 
Java aspects to it. If it does, then we we need to ensure that those Java aspects are tested starting a JRuby server. Uh, and in that case, the test becomes slower, but that is a once in a while case and not a very, very regular case. A few things we have to have to connect uh, with Oracle is because Oracle's uh, drivers were available and we have written J- JDBC drivers to interact with Oracle. So we always have to run tests in Oracle using JRuby. So whenever something fails uh, weirdly in Oracle, then we would we need to start up the server in JRuby, connect to Oracle and see how it behaves and then fix it. So when you're talking about like stuff that's using Java, are you talking about like, like talking to Java-specific libraries directly? Yes. Think of a Rails app uh, which has you know front-end processing, background processing, and all of that. And Mingle does have all of this encapsulated into the Java app. So we basically have servlets uh, which start the web front-end and the background node and background uh, processing everything in the same container. So when we need to make sure that this interaction works, we need to start the app in JRuby mode. Uh, we also use uh, a queuing system like ActiveMQ in Mingo. So when we need to start such things, then we we have no choice but to uh, use the Java mode. Okay. So it sounds like when you when you put it all together in integration, you pretty much have to be testing it on the Java side. Yeah. Although we do some optimizations uh, given given. Uh, the size of the application and our need for uh, you know fast feedback. We have multiple stages in our build cycle. So we let's say I, I write a feature and then I test it locally. Then I push it to a Ruby build, just plain MRI build, uh, which we call it as a pre-commit build, which runs all units, functionals, uh, and database agnostic tests in the sense uh, they run on Postgres uh, and. Uh, if they don't have any specific Oracle f- functionality, then we run those tests as part of this suite. So we have faster feedback on that, and that runs significantly faster, like it runs in about 10 minutes. And we, we know whether whatever we are checking in has passed that basic test. And then when we run the final acceptance phase, which runs on the actual JRuby environment, that takes significantly longer than this pre-commit. So in the final stage, we do run everything on JRuby. I, I'm a little nervous that you consider a 10-minute test to be faster. Yes, and I was too when I started on Mingo. And then you just kind of went with it. You're just like Stockholm Syndrome <laughs> set, set in, and you're like, 10 minutes is pretty good. No, actually, the when I started it, I started there, right? I was used to, like yourself, used to a two-minute build because Ruby, when you get into uh, that <laughs> world, your, your habits change. And yeah. that's when the, the realization hit that, you know, the expanse of Mingo, the number of features, the number of things that are put together is significantly larger. So if I, I just wrote down a few numbers, so that will give you an idea. So uh-huh. Mingle consists of about 8,500 tests, units and functionals, and about 3,000 acceptance tests. And these 3,000 tests actually do user level testing to some extent. Some are user level tests and some are uh, in between tests where they verify the functionality at a higher level than just unit. So we run the units and functionals, 8,500 of them, in 10 minutes. And that's very, very fast. <laughs> the other constraint actually Mingle has is that it cannot be database agnostic. And that is because of the design of Mingle. Mm-hmm. And this was talked about way back when Mingle was released. Even in those days when there was no NoSQL, Mingle was built to do DDL on the fly, uh, what you call transactional DDL. And a lot of things were written either in act- for active record or uh, in the driver 
and we needed to ensure that all of that worked every time we exercised the code. So right. we could not actually use things that were database agnostic or even our unit tests had to hit the database once in a while, right? Out of these 8,500, 8, I'm thinking more than 1,000 tests do hit the database and all that okay. has a cost. And we had to live with that pain. But what yes. we went for, yes. So we couldn't, we couldn't ignore that. So what we went for instead is massive, massive parallelization of these builds. And we, nice. yeah, our, actually to put out a few more numbers, our uh, main build that tests against Oracle, against all the acceptance tests, which includes running units and functionals in JRuby as well, because we run them in Ruby and then JRuby, uh, it takes about 40 minutes. And we have 48 agents and it's, it's about 100 cores that run this, these tests. Uh, yeah, and given the complexity of the app, getting feedback in 40 minutes is pretty good because our check-in frequency as well as this rate at which we d build features is not as fast as it would be in, in other play, other cases. Mm -hmm. Just because of the number of models, uh, sorry, number of objects that interact with each other. That makes sense. That makes sense. I'm kind of from the school of thought that when I run my unit test, I have a number that I call the, the David Brady Twitter limit, which is if my unit tests take longer than seven seconds to run, mm -hmm. I'm going to mm -hmm. go check Twitter. And that's going to be a hit to my productivity. And when I come into a project and I see, I see a two-minute test suite, I just start eating my hat because I, mm -hmm. I'm just like, I am so screwed. And one of the things that, that I have found on several different projects is that, yes, if you cannot completely decouple from the database, you're going to be running hundreds of tests per second at the most. Is That's that's the highest speed that you're going to get. If you can decouple from that, you can get RSpec to run a 1,000 tests a second. You can get mini tests to run three or 4,000 tests a second. But like you said, if you've got a custom driver and if you've got like stored procedures that you actually have to interact with, you're coupled to the database at that point. So yeah, I won't, I won't give you too much crap about that. I will ask you though, how long is your really long acceptance test? I'm just, just an informal kind of a war story, horror story for our listeners. If you were only running that on one machine, how long would that take? Just one test you're saying? No, like, like if you wanted to do the full, end-to-end, -end, all your functionals, all your units, all your acceptance tests in just like one process linearly without like 48 machines with 100 cores. Like how many, how many hours are you talking to, to run that? It would be hours in the sense I would go home and come back and it's still be running. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can actually give you a, a number for the just the unit tests, units and functional, the pre-commit build. If we uh -huh. run, even that is massively parallelized. If we run that, set, which runs under 10 minutes on our unit test system, uh, sorry, pre-commit system, that itself takes an hour, 40 minutes if we run them serially. Just And I have I did this when I joined Mingo, just to find out how long yeah. it takes. Yeah. Wow. And all of those are just Ruby tests. They're running on MRI. They don't hit Oracle. They just, but they do have to hit Postgres because there are DDLs we need to exercise. When you're ready to commit code in your massively parallel system, your whole system takes how long to run? Did you say 40 minutes to test? Uh, the four, yes, the whole system takes 40 minutes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so usually, the, here is our uh, way of doing things. Before pre-commit, we figure out if everything is uh, working fine, and then we pre-commit, and that is a good Pomodoro time for us so that we can take a break, sure. come back, and by the time we are back, we are ready to check into the main branch. Mm -hmm. And. Why? 
why are you guys sword fighting? We're running our unit tests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is not our main problem on Mingo. I mean, yes, this does take so long, but this is also our safety net and a massively, uh, what do you call, uh, very high confidence level safety net because of the complexity of the app, because of how many years this has been in production and is being used and affects so many customers. A lot of features fall through the cracks or people don't know because they they never use that feature or it was built before their time. So a lot of our tests catch these things. And we, we never imagine that this feature does have this kind of an effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to change tactics a little bit. I'm just wondering, what is it about Jake J. Ruby that makes you choose that over MRI or some of these other things? Uh, Rubinius, whatever. Uh, so main thing uh, that people were pushed towards uh, JRuby was the way it would be deployed. Because when Mingle was designed, it was supposed to be a downloadable app and you could put it as a war, although it never got released as a war. It was always an installer app, but it was sold as uh, you just have a uh, one-click deployment and you can manage it uh, like a Java app. So that is the big seller. When people run into performance issues, they know what to do and how to tune the Java app, uh, how to change heap size, memory sizes, uh, where to look for things when a Java app goes wrong. That was one big thing. The other thing that we had to build for uh, was to integrate with databases like Oracle, where there was no Ruby driver way back when, when this was being developed. There was an attempt to figure out how this could be deployed on uh, just an MRI stack. And at that time, it was Mongrel. Actually, they found with tests that performance on JRuby was actually better than Mongrel. And Mongrel had some process hang issues at the time uh, when, when it was run on a, on a high, higher load. Uh, so JRuby did give much more confidence to us. Plus, packaging them with those servlets, like I said, uh, which would allow uh, you know us to abstract out uh, the application from the user uh, where they don't need to worry about how background jobs are run, how they are allocated, what is going on. That was a key, you know, to, uh, to en- enable our users to not worry about uh, how this app is built or what, what goes into uh, this. Uh, rather, they could just uh, start and use it and integrate as they would uh, with a JRuby app, a Java app, I mean. And from the developer point of view, of course, it allowed us to do some nice things. For example, whenever we published an upgrade, uh, we actually now have a servlet which runs migrations automatically on start. Uh, And the user just sees a page where migrations are running and the user doesn't have to do anything. Once the migrations are over, it switches over back to the app and the app is now, now suddenly has a few nice features in it. Oh, that's a good point because everyone's self-hosting Mingle. So when you make a serious upgrade, like changing the database, you're not just running migrations on your production servers. You're giving migrations out to your end users and saying, good luck with that. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong, right? Exactly, exactly. So we wanted this to be as simple a process as possible without them having to worry about what are migrations and why do I care? Yeah, they didn't really. So all they had to do is download their latest tar file or the exe file for their system and double-click it, and it does everything. It just upgrades you and switches. So do you do you host this for anybody, yourself? And if you're, um, if you're doing that, do you use kind of the general Java stack or something else? 
Yeah. So we used to host this for people and we used to do the same thing that the user would do. Have a Java stack. You don't need to have a Java stack per se. All you need to do is download the package because the package itself includes everything you need on Windows. On Unix, we expect you to have a particular, what do you call, compatible Java. Uh, running and that's all and once that is done you just install the app and run it like any other java app but in the last two and a half years we have moved on from hosting for people and we have launched a SaaS solution for this and we host it on the cloud so we have one system that just serves i think more than 10,000 organizations now 10,000 customers that kind of uh, begs the question what has it been like to scale that up <laughs> and this is where where I, jo- I had joined Mingle and this happened in my days so I'm way more comfortable talking about this uh, is uh, so we started by say- saying that we really cannot support a lot of customers in hosting because the costs are going up and we need to provide a SaaS uh, solution and then we started uh, doing that and initially we started by using the most simple technique of building an instance of Mingle for each customer and obviously it became not very scalable soon, really, really fast. Like after about 20 customers, we realized this is not going to work. Uh, and we had, in those days, we had an, a simple Alexi-based design where each, each Alexi would host one particular customer. And our plan was to scale that based on load. And that, that was not going to work for too long. And in about six months, we added multi-tenancy. And we could do this because we were on Ruby, basically. And the way we added multi-tenancy was just, we just added a rack middleware, which just interrupts every request and checks the host name or the site name, as we call it. It's sitename.mingle.thoughtworks.com. So based on your site name, it routes it to a different database schema and different user session, basically. And that's what has helped us, you know, scale it immensely, uh, horizontally. Uh, And right now, I think we serve about 10,000 sites where we have about... Every request is about, sorry, it's like 30 requests per minute, 30 to 45 requests per minute we serve through our SaaS system. That's interesting that it was easy to switch to multi-tenancy just using a rake middleware. I mean, were there choices that had gone into the design of the app that, that made that easier? I mean, had you consciously decided to like keep a lot of stuff in the, in the individual user sessions or something? Uh, so all along, the app was built to serve one site at a time. And so all along, everything was dependent on the site. What we had to uh, redesign, though, was how the database pool is used. Uh, Because initially, when we did multi-tenancy as well, we had individual uh, database pools, uh, database connection pools for each customer. And again, we couldn't scale that because of uh, restrictions on Oracle and how big the the pool could be and how much that taxes Oracle's use of memory and cache. So the major redesign came when we had to redesign the database pool so that that database pool, uh, connection pool can be shared amongst all these users. Mm-hmm. And since Mingle's request rate is not so high as Facebook or something, we still can do it. And we still can have customers uh, who have reasonable web response. A lot of the optimization to get a reasonable web response had already been done in the installer app as well because there is a lot of background processing that Mingle does to ensure that the web uh, requests are uh, seem to be very fast. Hmm. 
In my experience, adding something like multi-tenancy usually involves a lot of... I mean, usually the headaches that you run into are lots of things that are talking to singleton methods. You know, just assuming that there's only ever going to be one of these things. And suddenly there are more than one of those things. Did you run into a lot of that? I think we ran into such things in our version before SaaS, especially, mm-hmm. and we ran into those because of threat, threat safety issues in JRuby. We wanted to run multiple rail, uh, uh, rails and, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, rail sessions in, in the same container, and we couldn't do that because mm-hmm. uh, JRuby 1.2 was not threat safe. Uh, mm, so, okay. yes. And some of the monkey patches that we had done on active record and things that are essential for Mingo uh, were not threat safe. Uh, so I think that that is the decision that was taken uh, before we went to SAS uh, a few generations before me was to uh, move to JRuby 1.5 that allowed to add thread safety and then there was a massive effort that converted all global things like like you said singleton things to thread safe local uh, variables and that actually was the longest delivery cycle that the team had to go through and. I think this was in 2008, 2009, that a year almost was spent on doing this. But okay, so, yeah. so now, so after that change, when you went to get some singleton attribute, you were actually talking to a thread local version of it? Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. And that, that simplified these things that we uh, added later on, like the multi-tenancy and stuff. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. That uh, makes sense. Yes, and actually after we did multi-tenancy, we could uh, then use a lot of AWS scaling techniques to scale the number of EC2 units we are going to use to serve Mingo. And that, and that is what, how we are doing it now. Interesting. So you mentioned that you're using Oracle, and I'm assuming Oracle Database. I'm wondering which JVM are you using? Is, is it just a foregone conclusion that you're also using Oracle, or are you using OpenJDK, IBM, or the GNU compiler? We used to use Sun JDK in the day, and then we did not depend in any way on a particular type of JDK. I think there were maybe a couple of things we we had needed to optimize, and we mm-hmm. did that effort somewhere b- between when we went to SAS and Mingle got a little mature. And since SAS, I think we are... Yeah, SAS was one reason, and the other reason was it was so hard to get Oracle JDK for Linux uh, installations and such. So we made the move to Open JDK in about 2010, yeah, three, okay. four years ago. So okay. we are running all our SAS systems on Open JDK, and what we package uh, is also Open JDK now. Okay. Are you still guys offering the self-hosted version of Mingle? Uh, we do. Uh, we do offer uh, for cases where customers are not comfortable putting their systems and data on the cloud. But more and more customers are convinced that actually cloud does offer way more security than they need. And it also has a lot of compliance and they can easily host things on uh, SaaS. So a lot of our customers are willingly moving. That's cool. I work at Cover My Meds and we have HIPAA is the ogre in the room. And so HIPAA compliance is something that's very, very essential to us. And so right now it's like nothing is allowed to be in the cloud. And we have a fantastic IT department that makes sure that we have all the resources that we need that that we're used to getting from the cloud. But it's all in-house and over the VPN. So I'm, I'm actually curious about the self-hosting kind of stuff. Now, if you do the self-hosting stuff, do you have to have an Oracle license and an Oracle database? Uh, yes. So you have multiple choices, actually, when you do self-hosting. You can choose to have Oracle, which is what most of our uh, larger customers had, and that's mm-hmm. why uh, we support uh, it on Oracle. But our 
database of choice and love is Postgres. So if you have Postgres, you Good can man. just host it on. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. That's, that's awesome. I also want to say it's awesome that it doesn't do MySQL, but that's my own bias. <laughs> it used to in way back when, and then uh, MySQL just was not good enough, and Postgres did it for us. So we have been on Postgres since, I think, version 1. Yeah. So we have sort of made the cultural shift, as well as the way people look at our app from um, being an installed to SaaS. A lot of our customers are now used to us delivering every day, we do daily deployments, so, so they actually get a new feature a day. We also have uh, um, uh, like features that are in beta, but you will see them, and then over time, it'll they, they'll get improved, and you will enjoy the ride as well. Uh, we also engage a lot with our customers because we are on SaaS and we can do daily deployments. So we have moved over from a three-month, six-month delivery cycle to a daily delivery cycle or a weekly delivery cycle where the feature we hypothesize it, we build it, we measure what is going on with that feature, we tweak it, and then push it uh, to the customers. Nice. Uh, we also use a lot of, uh, we have, so given that we were using JRuby, another challenge we faced was how to re-architect the deployment itself. It was an installer app, so it was this whole monolithic one. We used, we used to put it on AWS, explode it, and then run it. And even that was causing a lot of what you call heartburn in terms of how things are managed and how things are started and uh, the timing between things. Like, oh, we need to start this particular node before this starts so that migrations can be run and so on and so forth. Right. Uh, over the course of time, though, we have changed the way we deploy from being the whole installer, one thing includes everything app, to just a plain simple war. And we just deploy it on Tomcat. And since we do that, we do not have to do any custom EC2, what you call construction, uh, when we deploy to Amazon. We just use Elastic Beanstalk. We have this uh, tool that we developed called EB Deployer. I don't know if you have heard of it. We So we just give it a war. It figures out where the war needs to go. It does a blue-green deployment so the user doesn't even know that a new thing is being, being deployed. And when the new thing is being deployed, after it's deployed, we run a simple smoke test checking if we can log in and a couple more things, which is less than one minute, and then we switch. And then they suddenly have uh, new features. Nice. So because it was JRuby, you could do all this. Sorry, yeah. How how do you deal with, uh, say something breaks, gets through CI and turns out to be a problem in production, how do you deal with rollbacks? So since the time we went to SaaS and the way we were uh, delivering deployers, we knew that rollback is not going to work for us because it's going to be terribly hard to roll back any migration, for example, and to roll back or ask a customer to roll back a certain feature. So we have believed and uh, used the strategy of roll forward, put a fix in, but we have drastically reduced the time of how long it takes to put the fix in. For even serious issues, and the same holds true for, uh, like you said, if a, if a feature slips through, or maybe if there is a security issue like glibc or uh, what is it, the one before, or the Rails issue, we have tuned our team or the way it works to turn around in less than a day. So the next deployment, everything will be fixed or we work towards fixing that. To ensure that database migrations need not be rolled back, we only do additive migration. We do not delete columns. We just do for, you know non-destructive migrations. And we also do uh, what you call multi-step deployment in case there are migrations 
on SaaS. So we do the migration first, that gets deployed, and a day later, the actual feature gets deployed. So in the day, we also find out whether the mm. migration is a problem or not. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. I like the, the two-step. Yeah. yeah. So we, we yeah, pretty much follow the, the process that is laid out in refactoring databases. Just Okay. I need to read that. If you, let's, let's say you've, I don't know, dumb example, but let's say long ago you had a full name column and then you migrated to like last name and first name. And then much later you decided to go back to using full name, but you've already got that old column there. We haven't had this particular situation, but if we had this, we would just have it, have, give the new column a name, like new full name or something. Okay. And then continue with that and let the old full name be there. It just, yeah, it just doesn't hurt us anyway. So, <laughs> Does that ever drive you crazy, though, like just poking around amongst all the, uh, when you're poking around in the database dealing with all the columns and not knowing which ones are still valid and which ones aren't? We tend not to poke around with the database. Uh, as, uh, <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> and try to do things in Ruby uh, or through uh, our Rails models and exercise them because then that is the way our app is going to in- interact with it. There are situations where we need to poke around with the database when a user comes back and says, or a customer, installed customer comes back and says, hey, this is not working with us. And then we go and look at their database. And then that is the only time when we look at the database, but not poke around it just to find out what gotcha. what could have gone wrong. Yeah. So then you're have not you in ever- the position to do the, hey, Jim, are we using new new first name or new new first name or new 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 first name? <laughs> no. <laughs> have you ever done the experiment of bringing a DBA in and uh, sticking them in front of this database and then backing away and watching their head explode? We, uh, I, I shouldn't say that uh, we have done this experiment and announced it that we have done it, but we do this every time we send it to a customer and then their head does explode and then they come back with, to us with a ticket saying, how come you're doing this thing <laughs> <laughs> with, with my database? And we just say, we just do it. it it's fast enough. Yeah. It's not bothering you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we did have such situations where database was doing crazy stuff and it was being overloaded and did have significant performance impact on Mingo. Uh, and this was way back when we were using Acts as Searchable, I think, when we, this was Rails 1, right? So we were using Acts as Searchable and we were dumping the whole index, uh, the search index, into the database. And our solution was, at that time, just do some research. And then we came across Elasticsearch. And since then, we have moved over to Elasticsearch. And they don't see those crazy queries or one million row co- uh, databases anymore. And mm-hmm. the, the customers are way happier. Mingle is happier. Uh, Mingle operates really fast. Searches are fast. Yeah. And so basically our motivation has been if a problem is recurring, then look for a solution that would solve it. Yeah, I worked at a university that pretty heavily used Oracle and they had a whole team of DBAs to manage it. And so I'm wondering, do you ever need that kind of expertise? I mean, Avdi kind of alluded to that, but do you ever have to bring somebody in that just really gets Oracle? There have been instances, I, I don't want to deny that there haven't. There have been instances where we needed serious Oracle help. And that was when we were learning or we didn't know a particular quirk or, uh, or another. And usually we just, uh, we just fall back onto our, uh, in-house system support guy, uh, the IS guy, uh, Barrow Kwan. He does it, uh, for us. And he typically has come across uh, one of those problems or knows a quirk to tune uh, Oracle database. 
but over the course of time and over the course of teams actually the team has built significant oracle uh, expertise significant in the sense to tune it to suit mingle one of the things that we have learned is that oracle is not good at optimizing queries and we do that every so often like every 6 months or a year we'll find a query that is terribly terribly under optimized because oracle just doesn't unroll and optimize the query to make it fast uh, while postgres does and most of our tests are happy on postgres so in those cases we just go ahead and optimize a query and uh, write write the prepared statement instead and then that that's how we optimize it we have had so at the time when we were optimizing the database pool we used a lot of monitoring on the oracle rds in aws and that's where we learned a, a lot about how oracle uses its cache and uh, memory management to support a number of connections so we learn as we go as we go but we haven't needed a serious oracle guru on the team so one other question i have is if you were going to be building mingle now would you go with jruby and oracle or would you use different technologies if we were building mingle now i think if you ask me personally i would go with ruby because we are anyway going to be on saas so it doesn't matter to be packaged as a jar or anything and ruby 19 is fast enough and the process management uh, is now mature enough and thin and other servers are better to launch uh, a ruby process and we would not go with oracle we would choose a nosql database if we can because mingle is so much suited for the flexibility of the nosql databases and and it would scale as well gotcha so is there a compelling reason then for people to go to jruby at this point yes in the sense for the things that that mingle is doing where if you want had to package an app and make sure you wanted and a very easy way to um, deploy it then jruby is a very good option because the the person managing that app doesn't need to or the the devops person who needs to deploy that app doesn't need to worry about how to manage this app and how to monitor this because all of that is it just from the from the java book and the other thing that actually has helped us with jruby is how to tune the jvm because every every so often we see garbage collection issues or memory uh, uh, leaks that we can identify through our monitors and there are uh, ready made or well learned jvm techniques to tune the jvm so that we can overcome all these issues plus the jruby community is much more mature now where we do get a lot of what you call stack overflow hits and the like uh, so that we can uh, add those optimizations easily awesome a few other things i just wanted to you know chat about or mention is the way we are we have changed the uh, the way we do t- testing since we moved on to saas we have also started using a lot of javascript tests uh using phantom js for our testing we have started using the latest capybara rspec tests which run against our saas system which run in a significantly smaller time which is i think it takes about 10 minutes to run the entire suite meaning bring up the app and the and run the entire suite in aws and it gives us good enough feedback of what is different between our installer features and saas because there are some differences still all right Anything else that we should dig into, Dave, Avdi? I don't think I have any other questions today. I'm good. I'm good. It was really interesting though to dig into uh yeah, you know, what what you were after and the yeah. problems you had to solve. So, you know, definitely a big thanks for coming on and talking about it and Yes. Uh, if people want to no follow you or check out Mingle, what do they do? 
to follow me they f- they follow me on uh, at @sudindra rao and if they want to check out mingle we are on twitter at, uh, at that's mingle all right excellent uh, let's go ahead and do some picks then david do you want to start us off with picks sure i've got three technical picks today the first one is size up I may have picked this one in the past before. There are two really good window managers for OS X. The first one is called Divi, and that one lets you kind of like drag and describe the size that you you know want your window to be. And I came to Divi after using SizeUp, and you can set up Divi to, with macros to do everything SizeUp can, sort of. And I, when I got my new Mac, I just got Divi. I didn't go get a new copy of SizeUp, and. There was something hurting in the way I was working, and I finally realized what it was, and that is that size up, in addition to, it only lets you like have and quarter size your windows and you know throw them to one edge or the other. doesn't give you the fine-grained control, but the thing that I love about it is that there's a hotkey to send this window to the next monitor or the previous monitor, and I absolutely love that, and it's, it's worth the price. Like, like Literally, if I needed fine-grained control of my windows, I would turn Divi back on, and I would keep size up, and I would run them both. So size up is uh, it's not free, but it's not going to break the bank. The second pick that I have is called Curb, and this is a library. Uh, it's Ruby bindings to libcurl. So if you've ever written a Ruby script where you shell out to the system and and call curl and do something, stop that. Uh, you should be using curb, which gives you a curl object that you can then set up posts and queries and set your headers. And, and it's all in a very friendly Ruby syntax. So you don't have to remember the dash X and the dash F and the dash D and all of that fun stuff uh, that you do when you're playing with curl on the command line. And that's at github.com forward slash TAF2 slash curb. And the last technical pick I have is bluejeans.com. This is a teleconferencing software that we're using at Cover My Meds, and it freaking rocks. The most amazing thing about it is that it's, even on a very bad connection, it has very little lag. As the connection goes down, the video starts to get more and more blurry. So it's got a progressive decoder that is smart enough to know, oh, I don't have enough bandwidth to download enough progressive frames on this to give you a really high resolution picture. And so if you're on Wi-Fi, you get kind of grainy video. It's not bad, but it's certainly not super crisp. And if you plug into a cable modem and directly into Ethernet with your laptop, all of a sudden you've got full HD crystal clear video and it just works out of the box and it's just it's fantastic so bluejeans.com is that one and those are my picks all right avdi what are your picks i kind of slacked off on picking picks this week so i'm just gonna pick something silly contractor bags contractor bags have been making my life very easy lately what is a contractor bag if you don't know it is simply a garbage bag on crack and <laughs> now that i have been introduced to them i never want to go back to the regular kind because they're just garbage bags, but they're the kind that are like made of some indestructible plastic where when you throw sharp things into them, they don't shred into smithereens and dump stuff all across the floor. And I've been doing a whole lot of house cleaning lately and clearing a whole bunch of junk out, and they have been making my life a lot easier. So uh, contractor bags, you can find them at your local hardware store. They're great. I can totally see that. We <laughs> cut the plastic to make the bags, but we're not going to tell you how. <laughs> I, I've seen a few things get through them, but it, like it takes like a a really sharp like wire or something 
you know, something thin and sharp. I want to so, see Mythbusters throw dynamite in them. I just want to. <laughs> I just want to see will. a family hold them out as like a curtain and play Red Rover with their kids. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Red Rover is where you you link arms and you call somebody from oh. the other the, the other line and they run and they try to break through the hands. So uh. the the mental image is, is your kid <laughs> running full tilt straight into this bag and then going <laughs> flinging backwards. Um, and just find that a great image. <laughs> yes, yes. The Here image of children running into plastic bags. Yes. Let's <laughs> yes. leave us yes. our listeners with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Here comes Johnny. I think we killed Johnny. <laughs> this bag is not a toy unless there is adult supervision. Come on. Let's be responsible here. Oh, all right. Um, I've got a couple of picks here. Um, my first pick is uh, I actually I broke down and bought an iPad, which means I was I was super excited to get it. Uh, I got the iPad 3 mini, and uh, I got this OtterBox case that comes with it called the Defender, and it has the screen protector built into it. It's, like, completely indestructible, I guess. And, I mean, they have, like, this awesome warranty on it. Protects against spills and drops and everything. Um, so if you if your iPad gets broken in it, you know, they pretty much will fix it. But the other thing is, is it has this cover that goes over it that has a stand on it. So um, I can actually uh, set the iPad in it like three or four different ways. So I've actually been using it with OmniFocus to get my uh, to-dos in. And I just have it sitting next to, to me uh, on my desk. And so I, I use it for that and I use it to play podcasts and things like that. And so it's been super awesome. And so I'm, I'm going to pick both of those things. And then the other thing I'm going to pick, I'm not 100% happy with this, but I haven't found anything better. For JS Remote Conf, we're actually using some software called ClickWebinar. The things that I really like about it is that it puts a video of the speaker, the slides, you can embed YouTube videos, you can share a screen on it, um, and a bunch of other stuff. It also has a chat running on the side, and it has a Q&A feature, which is awesome. So I switch it to Q&A mode, and then people can basically raise their hands. And when I pick them, then they can actually enable their voice and talk to the speaker for a minute and, you know, hi, this is my question, you know, and get clarification and stuff like that. It's just really cool. The downsides are it's uh, built in Flash, and I'm running macOS Yosemite, I think is the latest version of macOS. Whatever the latest version is, that's what I got. And uh, their driver for screen sharing doesn't work on my Mac, but everything else seems to work well. Also, uploading Keynote files for some reason doesn't seem to work, but you can get around that by uploading a PowerPoint, so you just export it. It's not perfect, but it works. Anyway, it works way better, in my opinion, than things like Google Plus Hangouts or GoToMeeting. So those are my picks. Suthindra, what are your picks? I'm going to go with working effectively with legacy code, Michael Feathers, the book. I think many people have read it. And it's over and over and over, every time I come to a project, this is the first thing I do, is code this book. We start with the process. And in a day or two, we are done with the refactoring. And uh, we have learned a lot just by learning, uh, writing tests and following the techniques mentioned uh, in that book. So... That is going to be my one book. And the second pick is going to be actually a sequence of books, Thinking Fast and Slow. I learned a lot from that book, just the way uh, brain processes information. Then the recommendation from that book was nudge about how people can be nudged to do things uh, or make decisions. And the third thing, third book is uh, just a follow up from nudge is Power of Habit. 
just how to learn how people do things and tune your business or your apps uh, to their behavior and then make them adopt a new ha- habit. And that's what actually a lot of successful companies are doing is trying to teach people new habits and in terms of getting them, getting to use them. Uh, is that the Charles Duhigg book? Yes, that is. There are, there are actually two books called The Power of Habit on Amazon, so you have to specify the author. And the, the, Duhigg, Charles Duhigg, yes. the Duhigg yes. book is awesome, yes. Yes, it is awesome, yes. I just recently finished it. It's amazing. And since I am a, what we call, under-the-covers uh, Internet of Things geek, I like to talk about uh, these things. And one Kickstarter that, came, that I came across is called Blink, B-L-Y-N-K. And uh, their aim is to allow you to build an Arduino project in five minutes and a project that will allow you to control your Arduino from your phone, iPhone or, uh, or Android. So that is something. Uh, and then one last pick is a tool that will make embedded Linux really easy so that you can put embedded Linux on any processor of your choice. It's called Build Root. And that allows you to cross-compile it to any processor, like your Raspberry Pi, uh, or if a new processor comes out, maybe from Qualcomm or something. And you can generate embedded Linux systems for that. So uh, this is this is what I'm going to do in, in my break this weekend to figure out how to put that on my Raspberry Pi. It's not fair for you to pick so many toys. <laughs> I, just, I am just full of toys. Well, you're fired. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think we have any other announcements or anything, so uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up, and we'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Watch Me Code. Ruby and JavaScript go together like peanut butter and jelly. Have you been looking for regular, high-quality video screencasts on building JavaScript done by someone who really understands JavaScript? Derek Bailey's videos cover many of the topics we talk about on JavaScript Jabber and Ruby Rogues and are up on the latest tools and tricks you'll need to write great JavaScript. He covers language fundamentals, so there's plenty for everyone. Looking over the catalog, I got really excited and can't wait to watch them all. Go check them out at rubyrogues.com slash watchmecode. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the rogues and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at rubyrogues.com slash parlay.